welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey everyone, this is Chris and welcome to Dads with Daughters where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. You know, today we are bringing you another one of our webinars that we had on our Fathering Together Facebook page. If you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, please go over to Fathering Together, which is the nonprofit that runs our Dads with Daughters community and podcast, and watch some of these really amazing men that we are spotlighting. This week, we have a presentation that was called Latini Dad, a conversation on race, culture, and fatherhood. You know, these presentations, these webinars are ones that we are trying to not only introduce you to amazing men that are trying to do the best that they can and engaging with their kids in really unique ways, but also challenge you in a little bit to think a little bit differently. And this presentation had an amazing group of Latino fathers that were reflecting on their journey of fatherhood and, and really acknowledging the complexities of Latino culture and how Latino fathers have to address the current climate of racism and anti-blackness within Latino culture. We had four amazing guests on our panel, and they included Sergio Rosario Diaz, Marlon Gutierrez, Jorge Narvarez, and Jesse Sacedo. The presentation was also moderated by Joe Sacedo. This was really a powerful conversation, a powerful presentation of fatherhood in the Latino culture, and definitely one that I would encourage everyone to listen to. I hope that you learn a ton from listening to these amazing fathers today. Hello, everybody in our Fathering Together community and beyond. Uh, I am so excited and thrilled to have this panel conversation uh, with you all tonight called Latina Dad, a conversation of race, culture, and fatherhood. My good friend, Joseph Seda, will be walking you through this evening. Uh, this is our third panel in this series, and we'll have many more to come, but Joe will share a little bit more as he gets into the conversation. So I will turn it over to Joe. I'll be in the background if people have questions filtering in to their, their feed. So stay tuned, have a great call and conversation, and I'll turn it over to Joe. Sorry, thanks so much, uh, Brian, for the invitation to uh, be a part of this panel, um, actually moderating this panel, I should say. Um, and thank you to my fellow dads here on the call for uh, a conversation of wisdom, of sharing your perspectives, your journeys, your narratives of what it means to be a father, um, and specifically what it means to be a Latino father at that. So um, I'm Joe Salcedo. I'm a fellow father uh, based here in Chicago, Illinois, uh, father of two little boys, uh, Cruz, who's five years old, and my youngest, Isai, who is two. And um, yeah, I'll turn it over to uh, each of our panelists. Um, we've got a few questions that are sort of been predetermined, uh, but we encourage you who are tuning in live um, to be able to submit uh, your comments or questions and We'll be sure to address those as they come in. Um, but we'll start with uh, Sergio uh, Rosario Diaz, um, who also has a podcast, uh, a web following. Um, you'll hear from each of our panelists who are influencers of their own, um, who are also cultivating a, a strong community of fathers. Um, and so we have first Sergio Rosario Diaz, 
Um, then we'll hear from Marlon Gutierrez and then Jorge Narvaez and then um, someone who uh, is not related but kind of looks like me. His name's Jesse Salcedo uh, and, and he'll go after Jorge. So Sergio, if you can uh, give us a, a brief introduction of who you are, uh, tell us a little bit about your um, connection to uh, the community of fathers that you are part of um, and then we'll take it from there. Yes, so my name is Sergio Rosario Diaz. Uh, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, in 2016, I founded Soy Super Papa, which is a, it was a bilingual community back then, but now it's totally in Spanish community uh, for dads, uh, just because I think each community has its own calling, right? And it takes its course. So uh, we have dads from over 32 countries in Soy Super Papa. It's become a nonprofit. Uh, we do uh, panels, workshops, and you know we do campaigns too for fatherhood. But we mostly learn about each parenting style with fathers from different countries. So we, you know, not only as a, as a leader, but I think as a father, I learn a lot from my community, which is the most important thing. You know, there's different fathers in different parts of the world who are different, are, are parts of different societies. So for me, that's been a blessing. Um, I am the father of a three-year-old, Stella. I'm a, a, a military spouse and uh, I'm proud to be here. So thank you for the opportunity. Perfect. Thank you, Sergio. Uh, and then next we have Marlon Gutierrez. Yeah, thanks so much for having me here. My name is Marlon Gutierrez. I'm the dad to two little ones. My daughter is three and my son is two months old. I run the blog and the Instagram page, Being Papa, which just chronicles my life as a dad and some of the decisions I've made regarding work-life integration. Um, my wife and I have been working remote for five years and up until COVID, we used to uh, travel extensively, giving my daughter a lot of cultural experiences uh, firsthand. Slowly on my end, I'm trying to learn much more about myself, uh, my own family history, and my experiences as a Latino father, and try to share that out with everyone. I am Nicaragüense, born in Miami. Used to spend all my summers in Nicaragua in my abuelita's house, and I think to this day, those experiences really have shaped out um, who I am and how I parent. And I, I live in Orlando. I started the Orlando Dads Group there with the City Dads Group. And through that organization, I've been able to meet just so many dads, both locally and also on a national level. And uh, yeah, I just learned so much from them all the time. So I think that's pretty much it. Looking forward to uh, having this conversation with everyone. Thank you. <clears throat> Next, we have Jorge Narvaez. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Jorge Narvaez, and I am super happy to be here. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Reality Changers, but I've been doing a lot of other social media uh, uh, things all over the place. I, I focus on family, community, art, and music, and I definitely have a passion about talking about fatherhood. It's a conversation that I feel like we need to have as much as possible. I used to work for a nonprofit mm -hmm. here in San Diego called San Diego Dad's Core. I was at the forefront of working with dads who are coming out of prison, going into the mil military, coming back from like Afghanistan and also just civilians who, who were struggling, figuring out a way to connect with their kids. And I resonated with that. So with that, I, I, I picked it up and I said, look, I we really need to have this bigger conversation online with other people, especially with other people who might not understand what fatherhood actually means and, and, and the struggles we all have, you know, and that we share. So I'm very happy to be here to have just a bigger conversation about what's going on. Thank you, Jorge. Um, and then finally, we've got Jesse Salcedo. Yeah, hi, uh, Jesse Salcedo here, um, currently in Los Angeles. Uh, first, thanks to Fathering Together, uh, Brian and Joe, for the invite. Um, but great to be here with the, the other fathers here, especially Latino fathers. Um, 
um, currently in LA, but by way of uh, San Antonio, Texas. So third generation uh, Mexican, Tejano, uh, dad to two, uh, three-year-old twins, three and a half, uh, boy and a girl, Adelina and Tomas, and uh, been stay-at-home dad for the past three years, Cassie. And uh, before that, I was working in public service uh, with, with the city of housing department here in LA. Prior to that, working with a few elected officials. And uh, like, like has been mentioned, uh, definitely uh, looking forward to talking more about uh, our fatherhood experiences. Excellent. Thanks, Jesse. Um, so as you can tell, if you're tuning in, um, you know, we are going to be addressing a few different topics uh, that are pretty uh, personal uh, and relevant to us um, in terms of culture, race, um, you know, fatherhood, and sort of looking at all the intersections of, of these uh, core experiences. Um, but I do want to caution, you know, they're, they're, you know, thinking about this idea of Latinidad, there's so much complexity, right, I think, and beauty behind and diversity, really, uh, within uh, Latinidad and this idea of Latino culture, heritage, and identity. And so I'm very pleased just hearing in, in the brief intros that all of you offered, um, there's definitely uh, a lot of, uh, I think, rich uh, experience and diversity that we'll be getting to shortly. Um, but also, I, I know that there's some common threads uh, in terms of uniting us as, as fathers. Um, so, so thank you again. Um, the first question that I want to throw your way um, is really about how does uh, Latino heritage, how does your, you know, background as Latino really inform, how does it inform your approach to parenting? Oh, so uh, in, in my case, uh, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, um, and I, I lived there until I was an adult pretty much, right? Um, I think uh, the choice of of coming to the U.S. was was mine as an adult, so I I did have a choice to come, and and also experience most of my all of my childhood and adulthood. You know, to a certain point, um, I am a folklorist, so I play uh, this instrument right here. I'm going to show you guys, and I sing, and I talk about art, oral tradition, and history. This is a bomba drum, um, so that's pretty much a part of of what I do as a professional. And, and, you know, I think as a Latino, uh, when we, I talk about this with Marlon <laughs> on, on, on the podcast, it's, it's a, how, how about how, how, about how you approach your identity, right? Um, I, my dad was a musician and I did grow up with the musical side, but I never grew with the identity of the Afro-Caribbean culture. Me from coming from Puerto Rico, it's an island in the Caribbean. So most of our heritage is African and uh, in, indigenous, and that's not that's not how we are brought up, right? For us, it's it used to be shameful to talk about our indigenous heritage or African heritage, and it wasn't until I grew up into an adult that I I was a musician. And I never touched that side of music. I knew about it, but I never dove deep into the research and the stuff that I do now. Uh, that I decided that. I, it was something that I wanted to raise my child with, you know, being aware. I wanted, I wanted her to have some something that I didn't have, and it was that awareness of just being uh, able to choose and to represent and to also acknowledge, you know, that we are that we come from mixed cultures, and it's important to know them all. So I think, you know, uh, as a parent, my approach is to give my daughter all the information she needs and 
I integrate her into this workshop. She comes with me. We were one at Duke University uh, a couple of months ago, and she was just having fun. and And she brings her her skirt. She dances, and people see that, and they are very impressed. But I think it's also her choice as a as a as a baby, right? As a toddler, uh, it's her choice just because she chooses to share that with her dad, and it's my my job to give her the tools and let her decide. But I'm showing her all sides of the story. And that's, for me, is very important. I love that. Uh, definitely important to what I'm hearing is uh, giving your daughter agency, but also giving her access to a much fuller narrative and perspective. Um, thank you, Sergio. Um, Marlon, you care to share on that? Yeah. Um, so for me, um, you know, being raised in Miami and uh, being of Nick Rowland background, having the opportunity to spend my summers there, um, I always had some sort of conflict within my own identity growing up. Um, I would go to Nicaragua and I would feel like I was a little bit too Americano for that. Then I'd go here. And obviously when I went to college um, with other outside of my Miami culture, it was like culture shock for me. And I was like, oh, man, like, what, what am I? I don't know what to identify as. It was very difficult. And through that process, I just learned so much about my own culture and, you know, looking at all the things that you can see, um, the things that are explicitly learned and the things that you like and you see like the culture of music, food, arts, dancing, and the things I wanted to take from this Latin upbringing mixed together with the things that I liked from the American culture and their sense of independence and being able to do um, what you want for your own individuality and all these concepts together that I chose, like, you know, now that I'm a parent, I'm going to take the elements that uh, I like from these cultures that I've surrounded myself with and be just like Sergio said, you know, try to educate myself more about both sides of the equation um, across just not the positives, but also the negatives so that I can raise a child that has a choice and that they can decide, you know, what am I going to be um, doing in my life? What is it that I want to choose to be identifying as if they want to? Um, so that's essentially, you know, for me, being a Latino father in America, that's uh, how I perceive being able to to raise kids in that. Um, Jorge, similar question. Uh, could you kind of share with us how maybe Latinidad um, informs uh, the approach or the ways in which you are um, raising or have raised your children? Um, Yeah, honestly, I, I love Sergio's answer and Marlon's Marlon's yeah. answer because they 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 they're discussing the idea of like access and and teaching our children to to know the 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 how the opportunities are there and placing them in front of them. Right, I think as a as a father, as a Latino father, growing up. Um, I had certain limited access to certain types of knowledge, certain types of education, certain types of spaces that I was like, wait, that's not that's not I don't belong there, right? I don't. I don't, I shouldn't listen to that type of music. I shouldn't learn that. Why am I not learning that? And as I grew up thinking to myself, why not? Why, why are we, why are we, uh, why are we not teaching our, our children, especially because of, 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 you know, being, being Latino, being Mexicano, right? Being Mexican. I come from a very, um, very uh, uh, stoic, very structured, very like, you know, very, uh, you know, very nice type of way of thinking, you know? And so to, 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 unlearn that especially the toxic mm -hmm. parts it is and now that i have two daughters and i have a son i really get the idea of like giving these kids access 
by by them watching me, witnessing me doing them, right? For example, nobody knows it right now, but I'm in the mountains, right? I'm in the mountains in Idlewild right now. And I'm allowing and I'm giving my children access to know, dude, this place, you belong here. Come out here whenever you need to. This is where, where you can come and relax and decompress. doesn't matter if you're Latino, Chicano, Mexicano, Puerto Rican. You know, uh, don't, don't close yourself out just because that's something that you grew up thinking that wasn't like for us. So I feel like opening those doors to our children and allowing them to visibly see, hey, this space belongs to you too. I really appreciate that. Uh, all of your responses so far. And you mentioned Jorge something around that I wanted to uh, segue to this point of some of the norms that we've been exposed to in our own upbringing. And a lot of that, I'll speak from my experience, a lot of my own social upbringing uh, directly informs the ways in which I'm choosing to raise my kids or sometimes it's subconscious things that will come up and I'm like, wow, where did that come from? And I'm thinking, wow, that's like my dad or my mom's influence or my, my abuela, you know? So um, I wanted to ask uh, Jesse a question around um, if you could speak to, because you shared in your intro uh, that you've been um, a stay-at-home dad for the past three years. Um, and so I wondered if you could, because that certainly wasn't a, um, you know, the norm, I think, growing up of seeing uh, the father be the caregiver, the primary caretaker of the kids. And so I'm wondering if you could speak to what that experience has been like uh, for you personally and, and what you've noticed even uh, amongst family. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. And of course, for folks that are tuning in, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Your eyes don't deceive you. Um, it was a little surreal being a dad, a twin dad, right? Having twins and, and us being uh, identical twins. Uh, but I think as far as uh, you know, being stay at home, I, I will say, you know, uh, it actually stemmed from before we were even expecting, before we were pregnant. Um, years ago, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, Cielo, we met in college in, in Boston. And so anyhow, we would have these conversations early on, like, about how many kids you want, things like that. We talked about it for some years, even after getting married. Uh, you know, what if one of us would be able to stay home, right? And then when we finally got to this this point situation where we're um, we're expecting, okay, fine, um, and it looked like a reality, like hey, financially, right? We were in a place that hey, could we do this? And who would it be, right? And so, anyways, it, it was that decision to say, hey, uh, well, it looked financially speaking, it looked like okay, well, she's breadwinner here, then it makes sense. If we want to do this, then why not? And and so it's kind of. I'll be honest, uh, uh, early on, I was like, yeah, gung-ho for it. But then when it got closer, I thought, huh, I started having some, some second uh, thoughts, right? And I think a lot of that stems from kind of going back to what you're saying as far as the upbringing, the, even our uh, Latino culture, right, and the gender, gender norms. And I think ultimately it was, it was why wouldn't I want this opportunity if we have it, right, and, and, and to actually stay home versus having some stranger take care of them, right? And, and so anyhow, uh, fast forward, uh, I stayed home when they were eight months. Cielo stayed here for the first eight. And so um, I thought it would be a year, turned into about three years. So uh, it's been awesome. It's been very challenging. It's been very challenging, uh, but it's been very awesome. I think also with two, I mean, I think for me, having grown up as a twin, that obviously helped out with the psyche. Uh, I wasn't necessarily worried about that. It was just a matter of, okay, there's more than one here. But I think what I noticed just to go back to with even the Latino culture, you know, when we decided, we talked to our parents, let's say my suegro. So um, my wife, Cielo is from out here in SoCal um, and, and um, her, her mom and dad are uh, from Mexico. So we had the conversations and they, you know, they're traditional yet somewhat progressive, but it, when it came to it, 
they thought it wasn't the best idea. And I think it just goes back to what, what they were used to. They thought, well, should be the mom <laughs> and, and things like that where, you know, and she was like thinking, well, you know, why did I go to college? Right. And, and pursue this uh, type of career anyhow. Um, but I think that I wasn't surprised by that. Um, but I think it was interesting just to mentally what I would say it, it's helpful to just have, have discussions, right. Especially, especially with partner, your partner, wife, husband, if, if that's an opportunity there to think like, Hey, uh, does it make sense? What does it mean for us? Right. What does it mean for our kids really? And, and I've noticed actually, we both noticed that it has been the best thing, uh, for us, um, right now. And so, yeah. So, and I think one, one other thing, last thing, I think as far as, you know, first year going out to either parks or, or indoor spaces with the kids, just cause you go start crazy being at home at times. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, uh, run into, uh, some of the, uh, other parents or mainly moms, right. Or, or, or even nannies who are Latinas. So it's interesting because I would get uh, some looks, but I also get some words of encouragement. Uh, so it, it was an interesting experience, I think, but it's been awesome. Actually, I would I would highly recommend it if anybody has the opportunity to. Thanks, um, Jess, for sharing that. Um, a question I have, because clearly we um, are experiencing a very uh, unprecedented time, I think, in, in, in the world's history, certainly for this country's history uh, of moving through the world in a pandemic. Uh, for some of us, myself included, you know, we're working and parenting at the same time from home. Um, and that can present, you know, certainly some benefits, but also in terms of quality time with, with our kids. Um, but it can also present some challenges. And so I wanted to uh, hear from, from you guys and how, you know, you all are, are managing, you know, this, this time. Because um, I think it calls on us in, in a unique way, not just to sort of be attentive to our kids and, and our family members, our partners, our spouses, um, and for some of us, our, our jobs as well. Um, but there's also, I think, a, a mental toll, you know, uh, that's, that's uh, at least for me personally, it's taken just sort of, when I wrap my head around the fact that, you know, folks are really struggling, you know, in multiple ways, some are even, uh, are losing lives as we speak. And um, so I'm just curious, just to, as, as one parent to another, uh, to kind of gain some guidance, um, how are you all managing, uh, you know, what sort of advice or strategies might you have for our audience members as well? What if? I'll be honest with you, man. When the when we got the when we we found out that COVID was like you know everybody go inside the house. Um, at first, it was like scary, right? But um, because we didn't know what was going on. But man, a lot happened to me personally when I found out. I was like. Oh my gosh, my mental health. Oh my God, my children's mental health. Oh my gosh, they're schooling. Oh my gosh. Every, it was like a bunch of stuff coming at me. And I was like, I was getting, I had an anxiety attack, to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie to you. And um, I had to face a lot of demons, man. A lot of stuff that I think a lot of people are, uh, especially some of those couples that are like, they were already on edge, you know, and, and, and relationships and also even brothers and sisters and siblings. Um, and I'm just speaking for personal experience, seeing my children and seeing me and my wife react, overreact uh, and, and, and get worried. It took a mental toll on us, man. We had to like take a step back. I had to literally make my own space. Okay. Like this space behind me is virtual right now, but I, 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 I was going through some, some heavy, heavy, heavy depressive stuff, trying to figure out how to, how to survive. Why am I not qualifying for the stimulus check? Why is this, why is this not, you know, why is this happening? Right. It was in my head, man. I was just inside my head. And uh, I realized that I was in my head and I keep, I became self-aware and I was like, I got to get out. 
I got to get out of my head. I got to start building stuff. I got to figure out. I, I went into like instinctual mode as a father. And, and I, I got into my hustle mode. And there's something about, for me, there's something about the struggle. And I feel like because of, I've always been in survival mode all my life, you know, I'm struggling with, with, with like my mom, what my mom went through with like immigration and like being undocumented and like when we were young. I think, <clears throat> sorry, I think we just, I, I just, I did sorry, some yeah. Okay. I, I can you hear me now. Yes. Okay. I did some crying. I did some, 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 some letting go of some stuff. And I finally came to terms with it that, that I need to create my own little universe. I need to create my own little space. So I re renovated my whole garage, dude. I, I stole my daughter's uh, Ikea furniture and I made a studio and I, I allowed my children to see my process, to see me work my ass off downstairs. And they started realizing it too. And they started doing things too. And then and that's when I hit me. These kids are mimicking everything that I'm doing, both good and bad. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. We got to figure this out. So like Nancy and I were like, we got to get our stuff together, girl. Like we need to get our stuff emotionally together or we're going to, we're going to, we're going to crash, you know? So that's what happened to me, man. It was like, like it was, it's been still a roller coaster, but now yeah. I have a bit, I have a better idea of where I am, what I need to do and where I need to go. Yeah. Listen, I appreciate you for being <clears throat> so uh, vulnerable and, and open, uh, Jorge. Definitely. Um, Marlon. Yeah. Um, so like I said before, I, I've been working remote for five years. Um, my wife as well. So for a long time, we felt like we had a really good structure in place. Once Isabella was born, um, we set up time so that um, we'd be working and switching on and off. So um, I'd be working in the morning and then I'd be taking her and then after the afternoon we would switch and she would do all that. And we had the ability to do that. Um, but when COVID um, came about, everything was just shaken up because we felt like, okay, we've got this. We've worked from home for a long time. We understand, you know, how to do this. We've got the system. There were so many unknown factors that started coming in. Like the schooling situation was just terrible because now um, my daughter had to do school while we also had to be parenting. And then uh, my wife was pregnant. She was already having complications in the pregnancy. And that was a whole ordeal that I felt like I had to do something about. And, you know, similar to Jorge's situation, my anxiety was just out of control. Um, we had opted to have a home delivery um, which we thought was was going to be great because it prevented us from having to go to the hospital or expose ourselves and the family. And then um, as luck would have it, I had an injury that I had to go to the ER and um, it was a shoulder injury a few days before the labor. So that got me in a completely different mindset of like just panic, thinking that I was going to get this thing. And um, what I had to do was really understand that, you know, this is a very precious time in my life when I have my newborn with me. Um, my daughter, she's with us more than she ever has. My, there, oh, there's always going to be things that I have to work at with, with my job and all that, but I have to make the most out of it. So for me, the best thing was really being patient with myself and then uh, seeking professional help. So I, I am seeing a therapist that's helping me look at the rational side of a lot of these anxieties that came about because a lot of it is just in our head and we're just freaking out about a lot of things. But, you know, once you start taking a look at everything and how everything is just so fear driven, then you can feel better about the decisions you're making. And that's the stage where I'm at. Obviously not perfect. We're still pretty much quarantined. We don't go out. Um, our baby's still little, um, but I'm trying to make the best out of this new norm.
Yeah, thank you. And, and congrats again on, on the baby. Thanks. Um, Sergio or Jesse, did you care to add um, to that? Yeah, I can say something. Um, so for me, uh, I've been a stay-at-home parent as well for over two years. Um, and uh, having my wife work from home, right? Uh, usually like military people, they, they're always in the field. They're doing, uh, you know, stuff over there, at their offices at the field. But my wife was working from home. So it was about sharing the space, about changing uh like I was a little bit jealous to be honest, because the time that I used to be spent home, it was my it was my daughters and I only. So we had my wife; she was in the mix. My daughter was noticing there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, as far as what happened with COVID, we we quarantined ourselves, but then at the same time, we started looking at the social justice movements that all these events that were going on. And for me, that was hard as a, as a man, just because I would be the kind of person that I would be out there protesting. I would be out there. I always been like that. My mom taught me to voice my opinion and she would take me to these um, marchas, protestas, you know, rallies when I was a kid. And and I remember like when I was at, at, at the UPR, University of Puerto Rico, we had a strike and she went in there with me. My grandma, what? My both of my grandmas were there with me, so you know I come from a family that we are activists, and um, for the first time, you know, debating in my head whether I should be out there or I should be staying home with my daughter, and then kind of like processing this this fight, you know, in a different way. How can I contribute to it without being in the streets? Uh, and then being there firsthand. So it took it took a while for me to to decide how I was going to contribute to it. And uh, afterwards, I, I started, you know, like like this panel, I started putting to put together panels. I started having talks with friends. Um, I did a episode with Marlon on the podcast. And, you know, I've been in a lot of conversations. And I think it, it's important that we as parents, you know, once you become a father, so many things change. And it's also a time for us to reflect whether, you know, wh where am I standing now and where I'm going next? And and for me, it was, you know, a big change just because I I was the type of person, even when I live in D.C. for almost seven years, I would be out there in the protests. I would be out there in the rallies. Last, last July, there was a protest going on in Puerto Rico that, you know, governor resigned and I was there on vacation and I actually went to the protest. You know, I'm very much, this is something that's, you know, embedded in my, I would say it, it, how my mom raised me. It's, it's so deep that it's part of what we do every day. We voice our opinions and we seek social justice. So for me, it was about finding the right channel and about if the channel was not built, building it and then keep keeping it going. And that's why I'm so excited to be sharing with all these amazing dads here, because we're continuing that uh, that movement right right to this through this uh, panel. So um, I just want to say thank you again. And I want to I really appreciate every single one of you for being here. Thank you, Sergio. And I love it. I want to uh, in a moment come back to this topic of. Uh, role modeling um, and this idea of how social justice, you know, is integrated within all of your um, lives. So, 
Uh, Jesse, uh, do you want yeah. to share regarding the yeah the previous question? Sure. Just to add to what what's saying it is kind of interesting. Um, what Sergio was saying, yes, uh, my my wife Cielo started working from home. Definitely changed a bit. However, I, I think it's definitely interesting. I would say as far as how it affected uh, my son and daughter Tomas and Adelina, right? Uh, the biggest change is that they weren't able to see the uh, their abuelos. Um, they live about twenty minutes from here. And, and their tias. And so that was that, that kind of been the, the one of the bigger challenges for us, I think. But thank God for technology. Right. We can FaceTime and, and, and use other methods, too, in the phone. Um, but I think w- what's kind of been helpful, too, is also just trying to have a schedule for, for, for so we don't lose our minds. Right. And have a schedule for the kids, I would say, uh, just kind of keeping on that, and just engaging them. But I think um, What's interesting, going back to us as fathers, right, and I appreciate everybody here too, uh, uh, definitely vulnerability, right? That's something I think that's not um, uh, as maybe encouraged within our culture, wasn't at our house, right, um, in terms of being vulnerable per se. Um, so I think it's important, right, for, for kids, like that's, um, like it was uh, Jorge had mentioned about access, right, too, that they see it. And I think it's important for us to just have these conversations uh, with our kids, right, and, and and understand that we need our outlets too, right. So outlets with as as uh, men, right, too, as dads, uh, fathers. Uh, for me, it's been you know family, right, um, and also friends. And, and so um, and another another outlet for me too has been even uh, my own um, fraternity brothers too, Latino uh, fraternity. And, and so a lot of us are going through different things, right. So I know we all have our networks fathering together. Uh, so I think those are important to to continue, right? Um, especially right now when a lot of uh, uncertainties are happening. But it's important, as somebody suggested to me, when we're having conversations with the kids, to say, "Hey, look, it, it, it's okay to. Uh, it's more than okay. It's encouraged to let let your kids know that you are scared, right? And and you are sad. How are you feeling, right? Uh, uh, so that you're building you're building that trust. And I think for me, I do struggle. And I'm I'm interested in hearing from other fathers here, um, and Joe too, right? As far as um, what is it um, an age appropriate or when is it appropriate to talk about certain things? Right. So obviously COVID, none of us really know it, understand what, what's, what's going to happen. Right. And, and those are the types of things I'm kind of struggling with too, other than reading, right. And, and talking to other folks uh, about what's happening. So. Yeah, that's, a, I appreciate you bringing that up. And what have you want to address uh, or respond to the question, you know, what, what is age appropriate or how is it that you, depending on the ages of your children, are able to bring up these topics that are that are pretty serious. Give me a second. I can't hear you guys. Oh yeah. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. So basically, I think we just got. I just. I think off, we often forget as parents that that are that again our our children are watching us. They're watching our process. They're watching how we cry, how we how we stress out, how we do good how we do bad. And based on that, they're going to mimic everything that we do and we don't do. So uh, going back to where Sergio was saying about like, you know, not being afraid of speaking up. And I feel like this, this whole thing with COVID, there's a, there's a deep, deep psychological component to it that I think is, is, is affecting a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's also creating this like, the sense of like the social distancing, but it's, it's also causing like, you know, not being able to congregate the way that we should. Right. And I get it. We have to, we have to focus and, and take care of each other's health. Cause there's a lot of elders that don't have a strong immune system that, and we have to protect them. We have to tr- take care of our, 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 our families and stuff like that. However, there isn't, there is an urgency for us to, to, to make sure that we, that we continue to, 
to have the visual fight, right? To make sure that our kids see us okay, that 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 they they also have the opportunity to 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 speak up and to have a voice. So some of the stuff that we we're doing at home, right? Like I can't go out and protest with my kids. I can't do any of that, and I'm used to that too as well, man. I was I was big on that when I was at UCSD. I was practicing ethnic studies, and I was talking about you know affirmative action and and immigration reform and and also fatherhood rights, right? And but. But it's it, so instead, what I'm doing is is trying to integrate it and teach it to my kids and talking to them and having legitimate deep conversations about it, you know, in a very structure in a stru structure that is fun that is that is that is healthy, because they're getting exposed to so much things right now on TikTok. They're getting exposed to so much stuff on social media, and and we don't know what it is, man. And sometimes it can be a, a very distorted, warped perspective of what's happening in society. So at the end of the day, man, we just have to remember that we are their first teachers. We are in control of, of, of uh, we have to be in control. You know what I mean? Because we are the parents, not the, not the schools. I mean, the schools are there, but you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, we got to make sure that we show, we show up and be present. And as hard as it is sometimes right now, especially for those of us who are, who are extremely under-resourced, who have been losing their apartments, who have been losing time with the kids, who are probably working two to three jobs right now, you know, that are being affected. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. We have these affluent communities, you know, these affluent fathers that are like spending the time of their lives, dude, with their kids. They're like, oh, I'm so happy to finally reconnect with my kids and, and doing all this. That's good for you, dude. We got kids with parents but that are under so under-resourced that are like, they see their kids, they're like, they see their parents like, wow, my parents are stressed the hell out right now. Mm -hmm. And so that gap that that like that's missing, you know, that I think we often forget, you know. Um, and, and we have to remember that not all not all parents are, are okay right now and not all kids are okay right now. And we have to remember that we're teachers and we have to continue to, to, to support each other and to, and to have these healthy conversations as parents and as fathers, because regardless of where we're from, you know, whether you're from Puerto Rico, I mean, Puerto Rico has got a deep ass history, man, about what's been going on over there. And so is Mexico, you know, and some of mm -hmm. you from different parts of the world, you know what's going on and how that's affecting all of us. And we have to remember to 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 protect our children's minds, man. Their, their minds are being warped right now. They're being very um, it's becoming a very toxic space and it's scary, dude. And so we have to I have to teach my kids meditation. I have to teach them to breathe. I have to teach them to 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 learn how to be OK with what they're feeling, you know, and to learn how to cry. That's stuff that, that they're not learn they're never gonna learn at school, and especially right yeah. now, you know? Yeah. So it's it's like parenting, being a dad has gone like from, from zero to a thousand miles per hour. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And there's something you said too at the beginning, um, Jorge, about to remind ourselves that we are our, our kids' first teachers, right? Um, and I'll say I'll I'll add to that and say that often I feel like my son, who's five, my firstborn, is my first teacher or, or teaching me constantly, right? And I think I say that to say. Um, he sees the world brand new. And I think a lot of times I'm very, I'm catching myself being jaded by so many things in life, um, losing sight of what truly matters. Um, and it's often my, my youngest, both of them together, even when they're fighting, um, they'll say things at these moments that will catch me off guard and remind me that, oh yeah, this shit isn't like the work is going to get done. If you're, I'm not, you know, a first responder, like I'm not in the business right now saving lives. So like I can put this on hold and like tend to him or tend to their mom. Um, and so anyway, I, I just think that's something that I often come back to of like just trying to be uh, present, you know, to them. But if I don't take the time to do so, I'm really going to be missing out, um, which which is a disservice. So um, I appreciate you for saying that. Um, uh, fellas, Sergio, Marlon or Jess, did you want to um, weigh in on that, too? Or 
Um, I guess in, in my situation, like my daughter, she's three and um, she has, she's been in school where she's had a diverse set of friends. And for me, before all of this, um, I just thought it was so beautiful that she had such diverse group of friends that she couldn't really see anything that was different, you know, than how she was. And throughout all this, it was very important for me to realize that it's never too early to teach about those differences so that she's aware of those differences versus, you know, just assuming that, you know, every, you can be blind to what people are in their cultures and all that. So um, I've been trying to learn as much as I can so that I can explain it to her in a way that makes sense to her. Um, so we're starting off with like teaching differences between uh, hair color, skin color, like just the way that people may dress and all that. And, and it's resonating well with her. I love that there's now like a lot of resources and books that can help present that. Uh, so I'm just trying to learn as much as I can so that I present it in a way that's digestible because it, it's just so much that I don't also want to overwhelm her in an already overwhelming time. So just uh, taking baby steps to get there. I was going to, yeah, add to, you're right. Um, as far as never too early. Um, and I think, um, one of the things is, is of course it's helped us is, um, having these conversations, uh, with my wife and I, right. We, we talk about, okay, what about this? What about that? As far as issues, uh, that, that, were, that, um, uh, that are happening around us. But I think too, when it, when it comes to just going back to the, the Latinidad, right. Latino culture, um, and, and what's happening right now, right? Social injustices, and we're talking about uh, uh, race, and, and you know, even internally, right? We we've seen it growing up as far as um, uh, the the uh, racist comments uh, as as far as skin color, even within I'll just say our, my own family, like my wife's darker complected than I am, and I'm wedo, right? We're wedo, and my our dad is is uh, uh, mas moreno than our mom, and so things like that that, that those tend to stick, right? But we're conscious when we're talking with um, our daughter and son because they tend to be, my daughter's a little more uh, uh, morenita than, than her brother. And so we're conscious of that when we're talking, when we're talking to like the abuelos and this and that, just say, Hey, look, you know, it, we acknowledge it, but we don't, we don't accept it. Right. We talk about, Hey, that's, that's, that's not, um, that's not acceptable. Right. That type of language, because a lot of that's going to stick and, and it has stuck in the past, like I said. So I think we're, we're definitely mindful of that and, and also just trying to surround ourselves with other friends, right? Close, like they have um, either titis or, or tias or, or even aunties, right? Who, who are uh, different uh, ethnicities, right? A Asian American, African American, and, and LGBTQ. So, you know, I think for, for, for us, as far as how we uh, look ahead, um, I think that's kind of helpful too for us. At least that's what I'm thinking. I'm not sure if anybody else, anybody else has some thoughts on that. Um, in, in my case, I think, you know, what we watch on TV as a family sometimes gives us the right opportunity to um, have conversations, even though I have a three year old. Um, like, for example, you know, we, we've been uh, like Marlon say it's there's never uh, a set age for us to start educating our kids about a certain topic. Maybe. Yeah. Set some boundaries and limits of information because it can be overwhelming. But uh like for example, we were watching a show on Netflix, and and uh, there was a a um, a scene where there was a LGBTQIA uh, couple, right? And and I I took advantage of that 
to make it normal. Like uh, she said, like, oh, ellos están dando amor. And I was like, okay, she gets the concept of love. So now we have to take advantage that she's actually processing that in her head and talk about how love, right, has no color, no gender. And, you know, everybody is capable of loving each other no matter how they look like. So we took that and, you know, we were like, instead of, you know, you remember how our parents, there was like a, a, a nude scene or a kissing scene and they would go like that or, you know, go on, on like on the middle of the TV or, or change the channel or something like I've been trying to. And, and don't get me wrong. Like I get these scenes in the back of my head. I, I remember like my grandma just getting like a, a, in front of the TV and, you know, it's like, you know, like you remember when Spider-Man gets his spider sense, like you get like your, you know, your skin gets like, oh, it's something natural because it's been in our heads for so long that it's like an impulse. But at the same time, you have as a parent to control those impulses and and teach them you know, uh, what they are visually and, and where they're visually like, you know, having in front of them. So it's, it's taking advantage of what's going on and making them teaching opportunities. Right on. Yeah. I, I second that second all that right there, bro. Right. Um, so at, at the beginning of this, and I think in, in even the publicity for uh, today's uh, panel discussion, there was information about, uh, I know you, Sergio, Marlon, and Jorge, who uh, have created uh, content or continue to create and build content online, um, are influencing uh, and building this community of dads. And I'm wondering if we could go around to hear from you first, what, what was the impetus for having you know, created this? Um, and then what are some ways that folks, if they're tuning in for the first time and, and are not familiar, um, what advice do you have for them to get plugged in? So we can start with Marlon and then Jorge and Sergio. Yeah, I, for my involvement with the dad community started off um, when my wife was pregnant and I felt like I needed a network of other fathers that I could talk to. Um, I, from my group of friends, I was the first one to become a dad, so I didn't have that immediately. And then I started going online and saw this community of dad bloggers that I was just so very much impressed by and everything that they had done. Um, I saw that there were fatherhood conferences and all these conversations were taking place that I wanted to take part of. So um, I, I started off with trying to go to um, uh, a dad group. I saw that there was nothing in my city. Uh, so I reached out to the City Dads Group founder um, who's over in New York. And, um, and uh, it was just an amazing opportunity for me to start a group in Orlando. So that's pretty much how I started getting with, with the fatherhood circles. Um, Lance and Matt, who run the, the City Dads group, national group, uh, they helped me get started. I started meeting other dads. Then I started naturally blogging about my experiences on fatherhood and, and the things that I was experiencing myself for the first time, uh, my unique take on certain aspects of parenting and all that. And it just kind of grew naturally. Um, I'm very happy with just the conversations of people that I've been able to meet, the conferences I've been able to go to. I think it's just helped me be so much better. And what I was seeking, I didn't realize was so much bigger than what I thought at the time. You know, I just wanted other dads to hang out with. Um, I didn't know that it was going to become so big as, you know, people that I can look to for certain answers based out of their own experiences with their kids, because there is no manual. It's all based on 
experience and what we're all trying to to do so that we can be the fathers that we, we want to be. I love that, man. I love that. Um, I think for me, man, I was, I mean, this whole thing with YouTube started by accident. It was, it was just like me singing to my daughter, you know? And then when my, the, when the light bulb hit, when I was like, Hey, maybe I could just like vlog about like what I do as a dad. I, I was already obsessed with recording little moments with my kids anyways. And I was already like a YouTuber, but I wasn't a YouTuber. I was just like obsessed with recording things. Right. And then as I was doing all that singing with my kids, you know, I started noticing that like a lot more people started like following me and, 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 you know, we ended up on the Ellen show, but, but the, the whole thing with the show and all this stuff was, it's not, that's not what, what mattered to me the most. What, what really mattered to me the most was the way in which a simple video created such a relatable moment to people, especially to fathers who, who may not even have that type of moment, right? That they yearn for those types of moments with their kids that they might even have some, some sort of custodial issue, right? Like some custody issue or, um, and it wasn't until I started working, when I started looking for work in, in the fatherhood programs, I, I was, uh, my daughters were going to the six to six and I found out there was a male involvement program through the neighborhood house association. And I was like, Oh, that sounds pretty cool. I was going through a lot of stuff in my life at the time. I was trying to figure out what was going on with me. I was like, I need to really reconnect with my fatherhood roots. And I was losing it, man. I was really losing it. Um, and uh, I started volunteering and I loved it, man. I got really involved. I would take my guitar and perform at these like after school programs with kids. And like, I would just hang out with them. I would just like, just, it was such a peaceful, cool place, man. There was so much, there's so much need y'all, like so much need for males to, to, to fathers, to be in spaces where children are to, to, to educate and to inspire. It really makes a difference, man. And, uh, I, after that, uh, light bulb pit, I was like, I need it. I want, I want to get, if I want to spend so much time doing this volunteering, I want to, I want to get paid for it and maybe make a living out of it. So I actually got a job and I got hired at this place called the San Diego dad's core program. And San Diego, I was, the, I, I was a outreach coordinator. I was an intake recruiter. So I spoke to everybody coming into the program and I got a, I got a taste of what dads were struggling with, man. I got a taste of some of them that were coming out, like I said, coming out of prison, coming back from war. Some of them were just, I had lost their kids for like the stupidest things. Like some, like some, some of them that had just immigrated from different countries where it was like allowed to hit him with a stick in the back of their legs. And then they get like, and then the, <laughs> I'll never forget. This guy was like, so confused. He was like, I just got my daughter, my, my, my daughter taken away because um, they're, you know, teachers are mandated reporters and I needed to, uh, I, I, I don't understand why it's a big deal. I'm like, well, I mean, it, it's just, this is something that we just don't do here. You, you can't hit your kids with it. And so, and, and so I would, I would have to determine where to put them with the right case manager, with the right um, counselor and, and with the right person to help that person. So I had to like visualize how to help this person. And every call that came in, it kind of shaped me and helped me understand what I was struggling with too. I was like, man, you know, like I need to go, I need to go through this program myself. And so I did. And um, it just gave me a new perspective of like what dads need and the lack of funding in, in, in these nonprofit programs, man, there's so much lack of funding. And you know what happened with the program? I was in it for two years and two years later, it ran out of funding because the federal, the federal government does not push in any way, shape or form. And they say they do, but there's no money, dude. There's no money money for dads out there and it's the saddest thing i've ever seen there's no money there's no money for dad programs there's no money there's no money for dad mental health programs why i i don't know i don't know but i really want to see a, a change I, I really would love to see our country have an urgency in pushing the fatherhood agenda not in not because we're being attacked by women no dude in solidarity with the urgency of having this strong foundation for the family
Yeah. Yeah. For for me, um, I think it was all about heritage when I decided to get involved. Um, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. My wife too. Uh, even though we met in DC, and and when we knew our daughter was going to be born in the U.S., the first in our families, we we were happy, but at the same time concerned, just because how is she going to grow up? Is she going to grow up with the same like you know traditions? Uh, is she going to speak like us? Is uh, you know like all these things that you <laughs> that you never think about, but then when when you're expecting like they just flood your head, like, you know, these thoughts and, and she's going to sound like Puerto Rican. Like, is she going to, or is she going to just speak English? And, and, you know, today um, I was with my daughter, we, we were cooking and, and, and she just said something to me that it was like very Puerto Rican. It was like the way she said it. And I was like, I am so glad that I, that I got to stay home and shape like, you know, at least like the, the fundamentals for my daughter to be, I, I would say what we want her to be is twice as great as, as, as we got to be like, you know, as, as the persons and professionals we got to be. So uh, um, I'm really thankful. Like, you know, when she speaks to me and she said those things that my abuela used to say, or that, you know, our fathers used to say, I'm like, okay, I'm doing it right. But it was just because from the beginning, it was a, It was it, it was una preocupación, right? It was like this. It was embedded in me. It was like something that I really was worried about, and we decided to take action. And uh, you know, um, I said it. I said it was because of, of heritage and culture that I started. And and then when I decided to build soy build soy super papa and you know start like shaping it, it was for Puerto Rico, and but. Puerto Rico wasn't ready for that. I think it's, it's still not ready. And, you know, I've got to work twice as hard because I'm not living in there. But I, I do go back. And every time that I'm visiting, I do some type of events for that because I, I want them to know that it's important. So um, when Soy Super Papa took off, it was just Latino. That's from everywhere. Chile, Argentina, Mexico is our biggest, like, eh, following España. Uh, we have a lot of, of fathers from España and, you know, it was just, okay, let's not make this about where we are from. Let's make this about fatherhood and let's see what each other has to bring to the table. And that was fabulous. Like, you know, I learn every day when I'm there, like approving and, and moderating and reading all this. I'm just so happy, like, you know, to get to know dads who have different like inputs and 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 ideas of, on just regular stuff in life so um i think it's you know la, latinidad what represents for us is to bring our our heritage into how we raise our kids but also give them tools that we didn't have to make their to make them citizens of the world not just latinos and latinas or latinxes just so they can grow up to be citizens of the world and you know just not not only learn about being Latinos and Latinas, just to be citizens of the world per se, like general and, and grow like that, you know, don't not to, I would say when I went to college in Milwaukee for two years, um, I was like the, the cool Latino kid. Right. And for me, that was so cool. I was like, Oh, Oh, his hair is wavy and all these kinds of things. 
And now I go back and I'm like, no, it shouldn't. It shouldn't have been like that. Right. Like shouldn't have been like that. It's not because I was the, the exotic kid with the wavy hair and the dark hair and all and all these features, the accent, you know, it, it wasn't cool. Like we need to be a lot more aware of that. And, you know, I would love for my daughter to go to an experience that's similar, but with the right tools. So when they ask her, like, why do you speak like that? Or why do you have an accent? She can have the right answer. Like, you know, she can educate people about, about where she came from and, and what she went through. So for me, it was more of a, you know, the involvement was about heritage. That's great. No, thank you. Um, and as someone who's been able to uh, check out your sites and, and um, even listen to a podcast uh, episode from Soy Super Rapa, I would definitely recommend our audience to uh, make time to check all out, um, to get plugged in wherever they might be in the country or the world. Because uh, as you all mentioned, I think this theme of uh, community is so important, um, you know, with, with or without a pandemic, right? I think it's important to lean on, on our community our family, yes, as well as folks that, that are near and dear to us. Um, there's something, um, and I know Jess, you had mentioned earlier, um, you know, finding a lot of strength in your uh, fraternity. Uh, and I'm curious if you could speak on any other sort of uh, ways that dads can, can link up, you know, whether it's uh, online or in person, are there other uh, strategies you might be willing to share now? Yeah. Um, first off, yeah. Uh, Amen to every everything that everybody else had mentioned too. Um, it's so important. I mean, I, I appreciate everybody here creating those communities for us, right? For Latino fathers, uh, especially everywhere. Um, yeah, for me, uh, active still with my my uh, fraternity, Fauda Alpha, and it's it's been, you know, it's interesting. I was going to say um, this is kind of newer um, as far as more of a formal thing, but there was a dad's group that was just started maybe two years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And so anyhow, uh, most guys tend to engage with alumni, right. From the different schools that they went to, but, or, or where they live. But I think this is a little newer and it's kind of, it just speaks to the importance of, of, uh, why we need these communities, right. To help each other, um, and just talk, right. Uh, hear from everybody. Um, so I, I think for me, that's, that's been very helpful too. uh, definitely important for us, for family, uh, members, but but also in community, there there are groups. I was just going to mention there was a group early on when I when I first stayed home. The National at Home uh, Network, uh, National at Home Dads Network, but I really didn't um, I really didn't uh, push it too much. I, I just uh, checked maybe one event, but um, didn't really go enough. And and I think it's important, right, for for anybody to just really seek out get. Um, participate in, in any of, or all of these organizations, I plan to actually reach out to everybody here. Um, cause I want to definitely share, uh, with, with other friends, other fathers uh, and expecting fathers. Tambien. So, um, I think that's important. Thank you. Sorry. You, you bring up something that I think is important, um, is allowing ourselves to constantly be in these types of spaces with, with, with these types of conversations. I think we have to continuously up update ourselves with what's going on uh, as far as a fatherhood topic. And I think we just forget, you know, we forget, we get caught up with our families. We, we get caught up in our heads. And I feel like it, we, we forget to talk. We forget to talk about these things together. And in the process, the conversations are not going anywhere and we're losing funding for this nonprofit. We're losing uh, touch in being in touch with being a dad. So I, I love that you said that. 
Joe, if I could uh, mention yeah. something, sorry, Jorge, uh, you mentioned about funding. I totally agree. I, I used to work with a couple of elected officials. Uh, definitely there needs to be more. I was going to mention, Joe could probably add to this, Fathering Together, I think, received a federal grant recently or some funding. I, I think it's just important to promote that yeah. too, uh, um, and Brian, um, but you're right. There needs to be more. Yes. And you know, it starts with us, I think. Yeah, you're right. I agree. And actually, yeah, it's a good plug. Um, we're, we're approaching our time. And so I do want to um, give a shout out to some upcoming Fathering Together sponsor programs, uh, but totally want to shout out Brian Anderson and Chris Lewis, who are co-founders of this community. I mean, this is, these are guys like you have full-time gigs and, and other responsibilities and, and raising, you know, families. Um, and so this uh, project has garnered them uh, funding uh, from a national uh, program. And I think it's on their social, so I don't want to get anything wrong. Uh, but I do want to, yeah, thanks, Jess, for the plug uh, to highlight uh, and underscore the importance of their work in building community. Um, I want to shout out all of you guys. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, I feel very inspired. Um, I think anytime I'm surrounded by a lot of other fellow Latinos, I, I feel even more proud of my heritage. <laughs> and and uh, just hearing you, that's no exception. I think I'm, I'm even more inspired hearing your individual stories. Um, and there's a, I, I do work full-time with a, a nonprofit. Our goal is really working with Illinois uh, colleges and universities to help them and guide them and really um, committing to closing graduation gaps for Black and Latino Latinx students, uh, low-income students as well. Um, and often we're saying, you know, it's, it's the, the proof is in the pudding and in, in walking the walk versus just sort of espousing these, these values. And also there's this um, notion for a lot of us in this uh, work of social justice that there's power in the colectiva. And so I, I definitely feel that resonates tonight and having a chance to hear from all of you. Um, I, I thank you all. I totally want to follow up with each and every one of you uh, beyond tonight. Um, I know many of us in an in a, in a initial conversation, we talked about, hey, this could totally flow into a series, um, you know, that, that goes through a, a year or maybe longer. Um, so I, I hope we can, um, you know, commit to that with Fathering Together or with your uh, spaces and, and communities as well. So, again, thank you for your time um, and, and hang in there. I, I love a lot of what you all said in, in uh, the importance of talking with one another uh, and also seeking professional help. I think that's a topic that, that often gets overlooked. Um, you know, certainly did in my upbringing of, of not bringing up, you know, professional therapists and, and all of that, but know that um, within this community of fathers too, there are, you know, folks, there, there are resources out there. And so with that, I do want to just um, highlight some upcoming programs sponsored by Fathering Together. Uh, this is the last of their July series of, of different panels. Um, but Brian did want me to mention that um, there is more coming together for August. So in August, Fathering Together is going to be hosting a series of support groups, very timely, support groups that are focused on providing dads with strategies for how to handle the stresses of living in the time of, of COVID-19. Um, there is going to be uh, an opportunity to register for these groups. Um, and so registration is going to go live very soon. Please check out the event section and please follow along on social media uh, Fathering Together is on Facebook, um, Twitter, as well as, um, I forget what other channels, LinkedIn. So, um, and appreciate Sergio, Marlon, Jorge, uh, Jesse. One more, one more thing, um, if, I, if I may share. Oh, please do. Yeah, yeah, please. I, I, I really appreciate being on this space with you all um, because I think what, what we all agree on is we, we need to stop asking permission to have a seat on the table. That's what it is. Um, I think as, as, as Latinos, I, I, I self-identify myself as a Chicano, right, um, for different reasons. But I, I first, before that, I identify myself as a father. And I think 
what what, mo what what matters to me is making sure that we acknowledge everybody and each voice and we deserve and have to have a seat on the table you know what i mean i mean this is just like a conversation we're having on zoom father i mean i think right now the crisis to, I, there's there's like a weird bizarre i think there's a it's a crisis in my opinion it's a crisis of what the definition of a man means mm -hmm. in the spec in this in the spectrum of identity right I, I would love to like talk about this later and especially with you all like what it means to be a hombre uh with a palabra in this in, the, in this community a father and how that how that's connected to the gender identity in the diaspora because mm -hmm. because there's a lot of like deconstruction of what masculinity is is and also toxic masculinity and mm -hmm. what's left and what does that mean to be a man to be a father to be what does that even mean now right yeah. I, I i would love to tackle that because i feel like our our our, our latino identity really ah. really goes in there and figures out what is it that's affecting us making us feel so afraid of discussing about this you know and the fluidity <laughs> of our gender identity but for example you know i consider myself like i said a Chicano, Latino, you know, uh, I guess, you know, I just happened to, 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 you know, be married to my wife and I have three kids, but like, what does it mean now? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I just, we need to have a seat on the table and have this, these conversations. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, and, and definitely I, I know in catching the uh, podcast, super, uh, soy super papa, you, you do tackle some of these issues, right? Um, Sergio and, and yeah. Marlon. I, and I, and I invite you all, I would love to mm -hmm. have each one of you to talk about this, uh, in, in my podcast. I think one of the things that goes with what Jorge is saying is, uh, having these conversations among ourselves, just because we belong to that community. We don't need, we don't have to be invited into other communities to be able to speak for for a community that's not ours, you know, if we have these conversations with our community, then the message spreads across. Um, one of the things I wanted to like, you know, invite all the audience to do it's so when you go to a dad convention, invite other dads that look like you and talk like you. So you'll see when you walk in how they are going to be like, wow, we didn't expect this many Latino dads. Like we recently were at one in Washington, D.C., and there was a lot of African-American fathers. And and I somebody said to me, we didn't expect so many like, you know, African-American fathers, Latino dads. But we took it upon ourselves to invite those dads that look different. So the content of the conferences, of the panels change. So when you have a diverse audience, it's going to be a more realistic, more directed convention or, or summit or panel. So, you know, it's part of what we do. So I, I want to thank everyone. And um, thank you, Joe, for, uh, you know, being our moderator. And uh, thank each each of you guys so, uh, for being here and voicing your opinions. And, and I invite you, like, you know, let's get in touch and let's speak more. So. Listen, be well uh, and stay safe, each and every one of you, your families, your loved ones. Uh, Jesse will FaceTime later at some point. And, and thank you all. Yeah, this, this was a, a pleasure to be in company with all of you. So I appreciate you. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step -step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, 
but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be